Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Let me introduce myself real quick. If we have not met, my name is David Steinbarger. Um, I am the youth director here at Jacobs Well. Uh, I am the less seen David of the Jacobs Well Davids. Um, unless, of course, you're a teenager or a parent of a teen, then you probably see me a lot. Okay, so I also wanted to say, I, I think I can speak for all of us. Spencer mentioned this, but uh, I am so excited that Pastor Dan is coming back from his sabbatical tomorrow. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that he got a time of much-deserved rest. Um, I am glad that he had that. I'm also very glad that he is preaching next week. Um, and if you've ever wondered, this is kind of an experiment, if you've ever wondered how many staff people it takes to fill Pastor Dan's shoes on a given Sunday, the answer is four. Okay, so we are excited to have him back from sabbatical. This morning, however, I have the privilege of bringing God's word to you. And so if you could all turn to Psalm 119 with me, um, I will try to make up for my lack of experience with uh, youthful enthusiasm. Okay, so specifically, Psalm 119 is super long. We won't be going through the whole thing. We'll be going through verses 169 through 176. And if you are in a red Bible, that is on page 516. Now, while all of you are turning there and trying to find the correct verses, uh, 169 through 176, I wanted to explain a few things about Psalm 119, okay? And this will by far be the most academic section of this sermon. So if you get really bored, don't worry. This won't be the whole sermon. Um, but if you like geek out over academic sermons, if academic sermons are your jam, then this part is for you, okay? So Psalm 119 is by far the longest psalm of the Bible. And this psalm is a song that is entirely praising God the Father's law, okay, which on an initial reading is not difficult to see. But there's a few things, some very important, unique things about this psalm that are good for us to know. Okay, so if you notice, these 176 verses are separated and organized into 22 stanzas. And each stanza has eight lines in it, And you know that there's a new stanza because there's a weird word as a heading over the top of it. Words like ayin and bait and gimel and dalit and etc. Okay, now these headings, they're not gibberish. They're not, they're not nonsense words. They are actually uh, the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And if you were to read this psalm 
in Hebrew, uh, what you would see is that the first letter of the first word of each line is the letter of the stanza they are written in. Okay, so as an example, the section that we are going to be reading through, the Tav stanza, um, the first letter of the first word of each line is the Hebrew letter Tav from the alphabet. Now, this way of organizing a psalm or a poem has a name. It is called an acrostic psalm or poem, which you don't need to remember. Um, but what I do want you guys to remember, what I do want you to know is that acrostic poems are written to communicate specific messages. And different kinds of acrostic poems are written to communicate different things. So the psalmist who wrote Psalm 119 as a complete Hebrew alphabet acrostic psalm is communicating some very specific things about the Father's law. The first thing that the psalmist is saying is that he loves the Father's law. This is his love song to the Father's law. And as a complete Hebrew alphabet acrostic psalm, the psalmist is communicating that he loves the law as completely and fully as possible. Okay, his love for the law is complete. The second thing that the psalmist is communicating through this is that the Father's law, the subject of this psalm is in itself complete. Okay, that the inspired, holy, unchanging, revealed law of the Father is perfect. And so with that in mind, if I could have you Read the Tav stanza of Psalm 119 with me, which starts in verse 169. It says this. It says, Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you, and let your rules help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your law, God, and we ask that according to your word that you would teach us from it. That you would teach us what it means to be like this psalmist. You teach us how to love your law completely because it is complete. God, we thank you uh, for the trustworthiness of it. We thank you that you are a God and a Father who loves us perfectly. Uh, and we pray uh, that through this word, uh, you can deepen our affection for you. I pray that all in your name. Amen. Okay, so uh, last week, uh, the staff had a meeting. Uh, so we had our, our weekly staff meeting. And, and one of the things that we were talking through at the staff meeting uh, was how we as a church wanted to celebrate Father's Day today, this morning. Um, and, and per tradition, 
uh, we gave out beef jerky because it's delicious and manly, right? And I was thinking, great, beef jerky, good enough, okay? But, but as we decided this, our children's ministry coordinator, Katie, asked the question. She was like, do, uh, do we want to do more than just hand great fathers than just handing out meat? And, and I, I jokingly, but, but kind of seriously said, who cares? Happy Father's Day, right? Like, happy Father's Day. You know, but ever since I said it, it's been like a thorn in my mind. I, I kept thinking, why did I say that? And, and even worse, why don't I care about celebrating fathers? You know, and, and what I realized is that to me, in my mind, as a dad, I see fathers as a sort of like secondary parent. You know, if, if someone asked me who the better parent is between my wife and I, I would quickly say my wife, Beth. If, if someone asked me who the more essential parent to my children was, I would say Beth. You know, if someone came up to me and said that my children were only allowed to have one parent, I would immediately say that it is far better for my kids to have their mother than their father. And you know, I'm not the only one who thinks this way. Now, you don't have to raise your hands, but I'd be curious to know how many of you fathers see yourself as the second-string parent. But it's not just us. It's not just in our hearts. Pop culture is flooded with an idea that men are unnecessary in the raising of children. That they're only needed to make children. Okay, in, in our country, of the 13.6 million single parents, 83% of them are mothers. Which means that only 17% of single parents in our country are fathers. And I have to ask, is, is that just because men don't want to be parents as much as women? Maybe. Is, is that because men have abandoned their responsibility to their children? Sometimes. But sometimes I wonder if it's more because men aren't trusted by the courts to parent as much as women are. You know, and this idea that fathers are non-essential parents compared to mothers doesn't just come from us. It doesn't just come from our country. It's also coming from our churches. Okay, as a church, we have started to like blur the distinct roles of fathers and mothers, and we call it egalitarianism. You, we, when we label fathers as the head of their house, it gets called toxic masculinity. You know, it's said that the church is oppressive to mothers, and so even as a church, through egalitarianism, we have diminished the essential and unique role of fathers. And don't get me wrong. Toxic masculinity is real, and it's horrible. But God's design for fathers is not toxic. Now, I can't say for certain how the devaluing of God's design for fathers started. 
But the fact remains that as a nation, as a church, and as individuals, we reject the essential nature of the Father. Now, I do also want to recognize that for many of you here today in the, ch in the church, seeing fathers as essential is difficult because your experience with fathers has been either oppressive, abusive, or even absent. But that is not God's design for the father. Because that's not what God the father is like. See, God the father is present. He is instructive, and he is protective, and he loves us this way in large part through his law. And so recognizing how God the Father loves his children. Fathers, you and I, we need to love our children through God's law. And children, you and I, we need to love the Father's law. Because it is through the Father's law that we can truly flourish. And that is because the Father's law is safe. Because the Father's law is salvific. You see, throughout this psalm, throughout Psalm 119, the psalmist, he seems to be describing a very difficult trial. Or a series of difficult trials. He's suffering. But through this entire time, through this suffering, the psalmist is praising God for his law. He's praising God for the Torah, for the word, for God's instructions and his testimonies. And we see that the psalmist is desperately clinging to the Father's law. That is because the Father's law is safe. And we see how the Father's law provides safety through this Tav section in three ways. Okay, first, we see that God's law teaches the psalmist to obey. In verse 169, when the psalmist cries out, when he begs the Lord to give him understanding according to the word. You see, the psalmist wants to learn how to obey. And through this teaching, as the psalmist learns to obey, the Father's law will keep him safe. So let me, let me give you a quick example of how this works. See, in our house, we have one rule, and that is obey mom and dad. Okay? Now, we give lots of instructions. We give instructions from anything from don't eat too much candy to don't play with outlets, you know, love your sister more than toys, don't wake up dad in the morning by jumping on him, uh, you know, don't, don't run into the street. We, we instruct our kids to be happy for other people when they get good gifts, even if our kids want those good gifts. Okay, all kinds of things. We give all kinds of instructions, and all of these instructions are for their good. And if they obey, then they won't get stomach aches. They won't get electrocuted. They won't fight with each other over toys. They won't have me accidentally hit them because that's my reflex when I'm woken up in the morning. They won't get hit by cars, and they won't become greedy little monsters. These instructions are for their good. But the one rule 
that we need our girls to remember is obey mom and dad and to teach them the importance of obeying. As a loving father, I will discipline them when they don't for their safety. You see, the Father's law is safe because it teaches us to obey. The Father's law is also safe because it is right. It, it is perfectly correct. And we see this in verse 172 when the psalmist says, My tongue will sing of your word, for all of your commandments are right. Now, I'm sure many of the dads will be able to relate to this, but when I became a father, I, I realized that I get a lot of I told you so moments with my kids, like a ton of them. Um, and, and I don't always shove this in my kids' faces, um, but I do use their mistakes to remind them that I'm right, okay? Um, so as an example, my daughter, Sarah, she's a very curious person. Uh, and for a very long time, she was fascinated with the nightlight that was next to her bed. And so for her safety, I was constantly telling her, Sarah, don't play with that. It will hurt you. You'll get electrocuted. And, and you know, she was like, okay, and then, and then wouldn't. But then one day, I, he I hear the scream from her room. And so I go rushing up the stairs, and I see her, and she's crying. And then I look, and the nightlight is pulled out of the wall. And she's pointing at it and saying, that's hot. She electrocuted herself, okay, and, and, and she, she was fine physically, okay, and so after I checked her over and calmed her down, I took that opportunity to tell her that that's why I told her not to play with it. So I told her not to touch it, and as the years went on and I continued to tell Sarah not to do things, and then she did them anyway and got hurt, she is, she is learning to trust my instructions, right? She is learning to trust that my commands are right and they keep her safe. Church, God's commands are trustworthy and all of them are right. See, God commands us not to sin. He commands you and I to go to church commands us to submit to our authorities, to pray without ceasing, to meditate on his word day and night. And when you and I, when we choose not to heed our Father's law, we get hurt. You know, the application point here is super simple. Trust that God's commands are right, and then follow them, and they will keep you safe. See, the Father's law is safe. It's safe because it teaches us to obey. It's safe because it is right. And it is safe because God the Father is a guardian. You know, in verse 173, the psalmist writes, Let your hand be ready to help me. Now, this is not a literal hand. Uh, God doesn't have hands uh, because he is a spirit. But, but scripturally... Uh, God's hands represent his strength. Okay, they represent his authority. When his hands are with you, they represent his protection. When his hands are against you, they represent his judgment. And, and, and I have been using the word safe to describe God a lot here today. 
Um, and, and, and something that, that sometimes gets misunderstood, when, when we as people, when we use the word safe, when we, when we say, that man is really safe, what we're really saying is weak. We're saying, that man is weak. Okay? It, can, it can be kind of an emasculating word for men. But when the word safe is applied to a father, it doesn't mean weak. It means guardian. God is not weak. God is strong. And his strong hands keep his children safe because they are dangerous to those he is guarding against. Okay, I, I want to give you some examples of how God guards his children. So 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 10, it says, The Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. In Isaiah chapter 54, verse 17, God says, No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed, and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication from me declares the Lord. God is a guardian. Now, to, to make myself a little uh, vulnerable with all of you this morning, um, uh, I'd like to share a phobia of mine. Uh, like, like many people, I have phobias, and, and, and I can get past most of them, uh, except one. <laughs> there, there's one that I just I can't get past. Um, I, above all things, am terrified of spirit. Spiders, and if you're thinking to yourself right now, awesome! I have a great way to prank David. Uh, don't. Uh, no one will like it. I won't like it. You will see me become very. You'll. I will do unchristian things. Um, so, so this is not a way to prank me. It's not why I'm sharing this story. Okay? Spiders have legit put me into panic attacks before. Um, and yesterday, after I got done with work, I was, I was going to my car, uh, and outside on the, the driver's side window on the outside of it, um, I saw, just hanging out, a very small but very threatening spider. Um, and and I, I thought to myself, okay, this is, this is the time, right? I'm a 32-year-old man. I can do this. I'll be okay. So I opened the car door. I closed it. I'm like, I'll be fine. It's on the outside. But as I was driving, I quickly realized... I wasn't fine. Okay, so I, I it started. I, I I felt it on me, right? Like it's just I just it's just it, it was it felt like it was on me, and so I, I so then I was I kept looking at the spider to make sure it wasn't actually on me, um, and and so I stared at it, and it and it stared at me, and and I'm freaking out, and so I'm starting to lean away from the window as much as I can. Um, and then my, my driving got a little sporadic, so the spider would move, and I would swerve out of the way, and then I was like, I was like this is dangerous, okay? I can't drive this way. And so I, I knew I was close to my parents' house, and so I quickly, probably too quickly, drove there, uh, and I crawled out through the passenger side door because there's no way I was going to open the driver's side door. Uh, I break into my parents' house. I don't knock or anything. I just walk right in. I see my dad, and he's like, hey. And I was like, hey, um, can you help me with something? And, and my dad's like, uh, sure. What is it? And I say, yeah, uh, there's, there's a spider 
on my window? And he laughs. But, but not like in a mocking way, right? He, he laughs. It's like a dad laugh that makes you feel safe, right? That everything's going to be okay. And then he walks out, and he crushes my enemy with the strength of his hands. You know, and then he looks at me, and he genuinely asks if I'm okay. And I'm like, I'm like leaned over, <laughs> breathing really hard, trying to control my panic. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's okay. I'm okay. I'm, it's, I'm okay. I'm okay. Thanks. And then he says something to the effect of, hey, I'm your dad. Anytime. Right? Like, church, as, as children of God, I want you to believe and remember that you are kept safe by the strength of your Father's hands that guard you. You know, from small things to really big things, when you are threatened, run to the safety of your father. And as it says he will in his law, he will guard you with the strength of his hands. You see, the psalmist loves the father's law because it is safe. The psalmist also loves the Father's law because it is salvific. It is through the fulfillment of the law that we are saved from sin and death. Not our fulfillment of the law, but God's fulfillment of the law. You see, the psalmist asks God to save him in two ways. We see this in verse 176. When the psalmist asks God to seek him, because he's lost. He says, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant. See, he's crying out to God. He's saying, Father, I'm lost. Please come find me. And then again in verse 170, the psalmist asks God to deliver him, to take him from a place of danger and oppression and suffering and to put him into a place of life and flourishing. Okay, in other words, the psalmist who is lost is asking the father to find him and bring him home. You know, as a dad of three girls, uh, daddy-daughter movies have taken on like a whole new level of emotion for me. Yeah, I'm a pretty emotional guy to begin with, um, but like daddy-daughter movies now, like just tears. I can't stop the, the, the flood of tears coming out of my eyes. You know, and I have decided that one of the greatest father-daughter movies of our time is the movie Taken. Okay, now, if you're familiar with this movie, to be clear, I've not actually watched this movie with my girls who are all six and under, but someday I will, because it is a wonderful expression of the father's love, of a father's love for his daughter. And it's almost exactly what Psalm 119 is all about. He's, see, in this movie, there's a main character, his name is Brian, uh, and he is a retired CIA agent, and he spent his career preventing evil people from doing bad things. He has a daughter, she's 17. And she wants to go to Paris with a friend who's 19. And Brian naturally is uncomfortable with this. And so he says no. <laughs> he 
he's uncomfortable. And so he says no. And, but his daughter really wants to go. And so after a lot of guilt and begging from his daughter, Brian finally agrees to let her go. But because he knows all the dangers of the world to protect her, he has rules, right? He says, don't go to these places. When you land, call me. Call me every night before you go to bed. And she says, of course, I'll do all of that. But being a rebellious child, she doesn't do any of it. And so Brian, after the time when her plane was supposed to land and he doesn't get a call, gets worried. So he calls his daughter. She doesn't pick up. And so he calls again. And then she picks up and he's like, what have you been doing? And she's like, I'm sorry, I forgot. But then she sees something. She sees strange men enter the hotel that she was in. And she starts to panic. She says to her dad, what, what do I do? And so he, he calmly gives her instructions. He says, go to the other room, hide under the bed. And he says, they are going to take you. But when they do, I need you to yell out everything that you see. I need you to tell me how tall they are, what they look like, if they have a beard or tattoos or scars. And then it happens. Brian has to listen to his child get ripped away from the phone as she is shouting, beard, six feet, tattoo on her. And intently and emotionally, Brian listens to every word. And then when it gets quiet, Brian steps into action. And with all of his knowledge and resources and power, he learns who stole his daughter and he goes to Paris, and with single-minded purpose, he seeks out his lost child. And at the very end, after fighting through bad man after bad man, he finally finds her. And his daughter sees him, and she runs to him and hugs him and crumples in his arms because she was so scared and because she's so relieved. And he holds her safe with the strength of his hands. And with tears, she says to him, you found me. And he tender, tenderly says back, I told you I would. I found you because I said I would. Brian doesn't need to say more than that. He is a father who saved his daughter because he said he would. You know, in verse 176, the psalmist is lost. He is suffering. And so he cries out to God the Father to seek and deliver him. And I wonder, when was the last time that you've wandered away from your father and felt lost? Maybe, maybe that's where you're at right now. Maybe you felt lost your whole life. And if you are, if you are lost, cry out to God to find you and trust in him to bring you home. Purely because God says to you that he will. You know, that's, that's the story of the gospel that we find in the Father's law. You see, you and I, we have a loving Father who gives us instructions to keep us safe. But we rebel, and we put ourselves in terrible danger. You know, our sin 
steals us from the Father. It enslaves us and sentences us to death as lawbreakers. But God, the loving Father, as our Father, wrote in his law a way for us who have been sentenced to death to be saved. You know, in the Father's law, it is written that a Savior who we now know is Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, who is God. We know that he, in the law, would come and fulfill the Father's law perfectly. That according to the will of God, Jesus took your sin, and he took my sin upon himself, and he took it to the cross and died in our place so that we would be saved by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in verse 179, the last verse of the longest psalm, which worships the Father's law, the psalmist sings to God the Father. He says, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commandments. The psalmist puts all of his hope of salvation in the promises of the Father's law. And it was not misplaced hope. Because just as God said he would in his law, he sent his son Jesus to find us lost sheep and bring us home. I want you to believe as the psalmist believes. I want you to rest all of your hope on Christ who fulfilled the Father's law perfectly. And I promise you, you God promises you that you will flourish as a child of God forever. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I praise you and thank you for the promises of your law. I thank you that what you say you will do and that in your word you have told us exactly how you would save us who rebel against you. God, I pray that all of us can learn to love your word, that we can learn to love your law, your commandments, your testimonies the way that this psalmist does. Because we know that it is through this that Jesus saved us from our sin. It is through his death and resurrection according to your will that we can be called children of you, our Father. I pray this all in your name. Amen. So we have an opportunity now to practice turning to our Heavenly Father. We can do this through this time of communion um, where we get to uh, seek um, the provision of his son um, by being spiritually nurtured uh, by Christ. Um, As we move into this time of communion, I just want to remind you that this is a family meal uh, for those who have been baptized, who have professed their faith in Christ. and, and done so in a Christian church. And so if this is not the case for you, we would just ask for you to refrain, to hold off, um, to wait until uh, you have put your faith in Christ and been baptized. 
Um, and if you're wondering what that would look like, um, how to do so, uh, we have deacons and elders um, that are passing out the elements right now. Feel free to talk to one of them after the service. You can talk to myself. Um, any of us would be happy uh, to talk to you about what it means to put your faith in Christ. Um, so, the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Take a moment to continue communion with the Lord as the elements continue to be passed out. Christ's body broken for you, his blood shed for your salvation. Let us eat and drink together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you um, that you are a God who we can turn to, who loves us with a jealous love, uh, with a relentless love. Father, that you are both safe and strong, uh, that no matter how far we run away from you, no matter how hard we try to resist you, uh, that you will be always pursuing us, always overcoming our sin and our selfishness. Father, we praise you for that, and we thank you uh, for your love this morning. Amen. Please stand as we respond, singing Flourishing, Psalm 119.
direct me in the path of your commands. But there I find delight, my will is in your hands. Turn my heart away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your ways. Take away disgrace. You hold me in my the ones you love. Within your ways we walk, for your laws are good. And nations lose their power, my souls revive. In righteousness, O oh God, preserve my life. Turn my heart away to your ways. Take away disgrace. You hold me in my now this benediction from 2 Peter chapter 3. May you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and on the day of eternity. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Give me your heart, give me your song, sing it with all your might. Come to the fountain and you can be satisfied. There is a peace, there is a love, you can get lost inside. Come to the fountain and let me hear you testify.